0: Welcome to CCO Podcast, calling college students to serve Jesus Christ with their entire lives. I'm just. This is Justin speaking, Um, and um, I am. I live in Martinez, California, which is just outside of San Francisco, Oakland. Um, I've done a bunch of different stuff. Currently, I do a lot of this, where I'll I'll sit and coach, which is a form of art. Um, And so I'll coach artists, entrepreneurs, uh, ministers. The thing I think about art uh, when I think about the word art, so this is the whole the, the seminar here is called Living Art, which is a cute title. It wasn't mine. It's a really good idea, though. But what I believe about art is uh, Seth Godin, who's a hero of mine and author, says that art is anything you create, anything we create that forms or forges a relationship or a connection between people. Art is anything I create that forges a relationship between people. So if I make something, if I create it, uh and it forges a relationship between like people external to me or between myself and someone else or between myself and god or between someone else like anything that forges a relationship a creative thing that forges a relationship is art i actually really like that definition because it does a couple things uh, one and we'll talk about this later on if i do something cuz it's in me to do and i just like it and i kind of keep it that's more like journaling and that doesn't make it bad it's just not art so in other words, like a thing I do that's a creative if I, if I write, but I kind of keep it to myself is a form of self-expression. And I'm, I'm kind of communicating with myself. We can call that art to a degree. I really feel like the, 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 it's relationship that actually makes art art. What galvanizes art as artwork is when it actually like does the thing of connecting people, whether that's me to someone else or other people to each other. So in the, in this context, what I, most, mostly I want to communicate There are, there are ways in which like as creative expressions, it's part of why I go around the circle a little bit. Like, what do you do? They're creative expressions that we do because they're in us and they're, they're great spiritual disciplines or they're ways for us to get to know ourselves or see ourselves. But when I say art, I'm thinking really specifically of things we put in the world that make connections outside of ourselves. Um, So in that, in that context uh, I've done, I've played some music, over the course of time, I write books now. I do a whole lot of storytelling. I run a podcast. And all of those things are things I enjoy doing. But all of them also have this very, very particular angle that, like, I want these things to land in someone else's life and do something uh, in that life, specifically in their relationships as well. Um, I also want to talk – so uh, uh, I'll tell a few stories. And at any point, by the way, and I think um, uh, Rudy's going to help me out with this – if you have questions, comments, concerns, frustrations, I'm going to talk for a little while, and then we'll take a break for you to ask questions. I would rather, I'll tell you this right now, I've got a bunch of material I can go through all of it. I would rather spend the entire time talking specifically to questions, comments, concerns, worries, interests, and dreams that you have. So you will never be interrupting me in a way that I don't want to be interrupted. I would love to spend the entire time on your question. I'm going to just kind of get the ball rolling with a couple of stories. And I'll use these stories to hopefully stir stuff in you. But I'm honest to God, I'm literally primarily concerned about like getting to what's in you and working with that. I can tell these stories anytime, but you're here right now. Does that make some sense? Give me one of these, like hands up if you understand what I'm saying. I'm here for you. I can give this seminar and record it, but the fact that we get to do it together means like if you got something, and uh, Rudy, I don't know if you want to do this in terms of like someone raises their hand, but if you want, if you have a question cause I'm going to be rolling here uh, somehow like get your hand up and uh, she's going to catch you and then we'll stop everything and, and, and dive into what you're doing. So real quick um, here's a quick story. I'm going to do this when um, let's see, not that one. I'm going to do this one. Share your screen, share the screen because it's there to share, share, share. So Uh, You should see um, this screen right here. Um, I think you see it. Oh, wait, what do you see? you see the big thing says process there? Okay, great. We do. So, ma'am? Okay, great. So a bunch of years ago, um, my son, who is now 10, was younger. And that's how math works and also time take a note. Um, so, uh, a bunch of years ago when he was younger, he was like two or so I took him to Mount Diablo Mount Diablo is that mountain there in the background. And, um, I love how I love hiking on Mount Diablo. It's like one of my favorite places to be. This is a picture taken from like about 15 miles away. It's about actually the distance where I am right now from Mount Diablo. And i have been like hyping this whole whole thing up to my kid. Like we're going to go to the mountain. We're going to hike. So he's in the back seat. We're on our way to Mount Diablo. And he's in the back seat, like kicking the back of my chair, saying mountain, hike it, mountain, hike it, mountain. He's like stoked, fired up, ready to go. As we get close to the mountain, he can see less of the mountain. He gets, he's like, where'd the mountain go? And then we see it again. Where'd the mountain go? And then we see it again, because like houses and foothills around the mountain. Finally, we get to the mountain and he, uh, I, I put him in his little Kelty kid backpack because I'm doing the hiking. He's hanging out. So he starts chewing on the cheese that I gave him. And then as we're, as we're walking up the, this path, he pauses. He can, like, I can hear him thinking. And he says, dad, where'd the mountain go? I was like, buddy, this is the mountain. Like This is, this is it. We're, we're on the mountain. He's like, no, dad, where'd the mountain go? I said, buddy, this is, this is the mountain. I promise this is on the mountain. And he gets really quiet for a little while. And I walk a little further and he goes, dad, where a mountain go. And the reason he thinks this is not because I'm a perpetual liar, because I'm not, but because to him, the mountain looked like this picture. That's the mountain. It looks like this. But once you're actually on the mountain, it no longer looks like a mountain anymore. The idea being that for all of us, inspiration, this is the, is the, the process of art in our lives. The, the the vision of the thing as a, as a whole thing whether it's a book whether it's a podcast whether it's a painting series or single painting whether it's a song or a series of songs the vision of the completed work is the thing that draws us to the to the work of art to actually doing the that to, to to a life of art like we see it from a distance we have a vision of it and then once we get there and this will sound familiar to you once we get there and we get into it it stops looking like that vision and it ends up looking like work. It just ends up looking like this. It ends up like, it's just a slog and it's rocks and it's, and this is oftentimes the place where we quit on things. And it's not because it's hard per se, although that's part of it, but it's also because it doesn't look or feel like we thought it was going to. In other words, we saw this thing and we were inspired and it stirred something in me to get there. And then I get there and it does not look like the mountain anymore. It just looks like work. So part of the way, part of the door I want to walk through into this is as we start this conversation, as you start this idea, you know, this this conversation with yourself about art making, about vocation, a thing that will always be true, always be true, is regardless of how much you love the thing you're wanting to do, regardless of how deep you are, how deeply you're inspired by a vision, at some point, if you're gonna call it art, if you're gonna actually do the thing, you will lose touch. With the inspired vision part of it, and just have to give in to the work. That is simply true. This is the other part that will sound familiar. It's at this point when I get onto the hill, I start hiking up the mountain, and I've lost touch with the big vision of the mountain. It doesn't look like the mountain; just looks work. Just looks like work. Usually, I've hiked far enough up this project. I've hiked, I, I, you know, I've got up on the hill far enough that if I turn around. I look across the valley, what I can see is another mountain. And I'm inspired by that mountain. And so I leave the one I'm on to go because I'm inspired by the vision of this thing from a distance, which is why so many of us have like six, seven, 10, 12, 20 projects, half started in notes laying around our lives. And it doesn't make us lazy. It just means no one ever told us, to be honest with you, that art is work. Art is not inspiration. Art, like inspiration is wonderful. I love being inspired. But if I only work when I'm inspired, I will end up with 10, 12, 14 different projects and anyone in the world can work from inspiration. It takes an actual artist. We become, I'll say this, we become artists when we actually do the work and we fall in love, not with the vision of the thing, but with the 400 feet of dirt in front of us once we get there. It will all, we will always lose touch with that vision. Um, which brings me to this. So to one, one more kind of inspired story. Um, and then we'll like take a quick, like question answer break here. So when I got started playing music a bunch of years ago, 1998 or so, um, I wasn't looking to play music. I was, I was, uh, doing youth ministry and public education that, you know, Because of all the money available in both those fields of work, uh, I was looking to just rake in mad cash. So, I was because I was making so much, I was literally making like $650 a month. I was killing it. And because that was true, uh, I was living with four other guys in this guy, Frank Tate's house. Now, Frank Tate ran a record label. And I thought that was neat because I liked music. And I was just playing music just to do it. Well, kind of. I had recently become a Christian. Uh, Like, I started following Jesus when I was 18. And now I have this invisible friend who held together the universe. And that's a lot to process. Uh, And so I was playing music to like help like negotiate and navigate my own emotions. And Frank came to me one night and I was just, I I played some songs in the house and he said, Hey, have you ever thought about playing music for a living? I was like, Whoa, you think the songs are pretty good. He goes, (laughs) all these stories are true by the way. He goes, no, the songs aren't very good, but I like you. I was like, thank you. So um, my, my young life club, most of my kids were like junior seniors coming into the, coming into the end uh, of the summer. So it was actually a decent time to step away and try something new. So I kind of gave into the idea I'm like, well, let's, let's, let's see what happens here. I went into the studio, started cutting this record and somewhere in the midst of like the middle of the summer, there was a thing called GMA week. Now GMA week in Nashville was different than it is now, but it used to be. Like you would go to this place in Nashville, and all the record label people would like bring artists, and they would basically just hype up all their stuff. So I'm I'm at this um, showcase of sorts where like the label head would get up on the stage and say, "Behind me is like, Stacey Orico, and Stacey Orico is the greatest thing to ever happen to rock and roll. Uh, she has a voice delivered directly from the Holy Ghost and." the songs that should be performed this morning are like, it it was, it would be as if the Beatles got better and then became Hispanic. And uh, like, and like, this is the kind of introduction everyone was getting was like, this is the greatest thing. It's mind blowing DNA altering. And then they would pass the mic on to the artist. (laughs) I was like sixth or seventh in the lineup and Frank gets up and he goes, I'm Frank Tate. I'm with five minute walk records. And this is Justin McRoberts. He'll be the artist that we're focusing on this year. And uh, I'll be honest. He's not very good right now. <laughs> I'm literally standing there holding, I'm standing, I'm holding a guitar behind him with a microphone. in front of I'm ready to go. And he literally is like 200 people in the room. Like they're, they're store buyers, radio executives. And like, everyone goes hmm? like, 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 he says, he's not very good right now. But then he says this, I'm betting that most of the artists, this is Frank. He's I'm betting that most of the artists you've seen this morning won't be playing music two or three years from now, because this is hard to do. I do think that Justin will be making music and making art 15 years from now. And I think it'll be really good. So I'm making a long-term investment and I'd like you to make it with me. But if you don't, I don't care. And then he walked off the stage. And then I was like, hi, I'm Justin. This is a song. This sucks, I guess. So here we go. And I did the thing. But the idea was for me, when that first record came out, it did well. And I was surprised at how well it did, but I didn't, I, I wasn't caught up on early success. And then the second record came out and it wasn't received very well. It wasn't a very good record and we lost a bunch of money and I wasn't caught up on my early failure. I had a vision for the work in front of me. So what Frank did was instead of giving me a vision and doing the thing and saying like, Hey, you're great right now and leaving it at that. Or saying, hey, you suck right now and leading at that. He said, you're not good right now, but I'm thinking about who you're going to become in this process. That's the kind of vision I want to impart. That's the kind of vision I think that makes an artist an artist. I think that's actually what makes us artists long-term. It's not just the vision of the thing that's right in front of us. I want you to fall in love with that 400 feet of dirt, but not because that 400 feet of dirt is the most important thing. It's just the next step in a really long process of you becoming who you will be 15, 20, 25 years from now. That's really what art ends up being about. It becomes about you becoming someone in the process of making. So each project isn't vital in and of itself. It is a step in your becoming. So let's take a quick uh, break here. And I'm going to stop sharing my screen. Uh, Um. Thoughts, questions, comments, concerns. What's stirring in you at this point, 24 minutes in? What's in your head? Anybody with anything, you can ping uh, me right there. uh, Grace. So something I kind of want to ask um, is, so in the process of making, um, because I feel like burnout is kind of an inevitable thing, I kind of want to ask what, how is that something that you overcome when you're in the middle of this process and you find yourself burning out and you don't want to do it anymore? How do you like, how do you handle that? That's great. So you're talking about, when you're talking about burnout, you're talking about like being just generally tired, emotionally tired, sick of your own work, that kind of thing. Great. Uh, let's do a couple things. Um, how about I answer that? Um, I'm going to answer that on two levels and this is some stuff I was going to do later on. I'll do it right now is um, I'm going to share my screen again. Cause I've got a slideshow. Um, so this uh, is a wonderful um, idea, discipline that my friend Sandra McCracken passed along to me or informed me of uh, called crop rotation um, crop rotation. I don't know if you, some of you who are like are more familiar with agrarian culture will know that in crop rotation, if you plant the same seed in the same soil over and over again, you eventually ruin the soil, and you can no longer grow your primary crop. What you have to do is if you're responsible to the land as a farmer is you have to in different seasons, plant different seed if so if, in other words if if mostly what you're growing is cabbage, then I think this is true it's true in California then you'll have seasons during which you plant. Uh, I think it's soy because soy, even though it's not your main crop, is really good for the soil, so that you can continue to grow your main crop. So one of the one of the ways we don't necessarily avoid burnout per se, and I'll talk about what I think burnout is in a minute. But one of the ways we 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 avoid uh, exhaustion and boredom is a thing called crop rotation. So it becomes really important for you and I to recognize that I have multiple interests and to make room. Seasonally for those other interests, so that I actually have like a so Sandra does a thing where she'll spend like a season, like six months or so, making a record, and then she'll set music aside intentionally, and she doesn't do music for a couple months, and she like either journals or she writes or she paints, and she does it intentionally and plants a different seed in her so, in in the soil of her creative life, so that when she comes back to music, she's not burnt out on it. So that's one thing. This is so the Achilles. Uh, heel or Achilles tendon story. is my friend Bonnie Lang, she's super dope, and um, a bunch of years ago, I like to. So I like to run. I'm a jogger, um, and I started having these Achilles problems. And I called Bonnie. I was like, Hey, so what am I supposed to do about this? And she said, Well, you got to stop running. And I was bummed. Like I was like, Well, <laughs> it's like I need to. I was, you know, I, th- I was like almost forty at the time. I'm like, Well, like this is like I can I don't want to like fall out of. Shape and like my body. She's like, no, no, no. You don't understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying stop exercising. I'm saying you have to stop doing the same thing over and over again because you're going to wear your body out. So you have to, you have to mix things up. So if, she's like, I know you don't like going to the gym, but you probably have to like get into the gym and do some gym stuff or get in the water. I'm like, and I hate swimming or like go. She basically, saying like your body needs exercise, but if you do the same thing over and over again, you wear that out. This happens so often with art making. That like, it's not, it's not about my exhaustion as just as exhaustion. It's that I cannot do the same thing emotionally over and over and over again without wearing myself out emotionally. So when I think part of what I think burnout is, 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 is usually that I'm not paying attention to my own soul saying I, I need to change things up. That's one of the things. So, which goes to the other thing, th- this, this question like is is to know what else moves you and to actually have a list actually keep track of things that you actually have like have and take interest in so paying attention to art that moves you paying attention to things that inspire you and having a place in your life where you keep a list of like hey I would really love to do a painting project someday or seeing something like I would like I- I'd like to write a series of poems even if it seems like I would never really do that and it seems very really peripheral if your soul if that if that sparks something in your soul write it down and keep it. So that at the point at which like you find yourself bored with your own primary work, you can like say, okay, I need a break from this, but I don't want st- to I don't want to just take a break, which we'll talk to you in a second, talk about in a second. I don't want to just take a break from making and make something else for just a season and have a list. So you're not trying to invent it in the moment. Last bit about burnout. When it comes to the, comes to this practice of rest. Um, we all know that the Sabbath Is a commandment. (laughs) It's a commandment, friends. It's not like a suggestion. It's also, by the way, like it comes before killing people. Like literally, like in the order of of the commandments, Sabbath rest comes before murder. (laughs) Just like before we get around talking about killing folks, I'm talking about taking a day off. It's so vital for us in all areas of our lives that we actually have a practice of rest. You are in college. This is an insane season in terms of like time and schedule, at least you experience it as insane. Now, I'm so sorry to say this. It doesn't get easier. It doesn't get easier to make time to be rested. So, uh, I can't address, and I love this question, Grace, because, uh, I cannot address burnout when I'm in it. I don't have the capacity. I have to prepare for burnout by building my life around disciplines Practices and awareness of my own soul so that like if I start to feel it, like I know what to do. but once I get to burnout, I'm screwed. It's over because I don't have a perspective in burnout to fix myself. So I have to like live in a practice of rest, taking days off, getting myself in a place and there's a whole other seminar here about like about actually getting rest and I have to have that list of other things that I'm actually interested in. so I can't deal with burnout when I get to burnout. I have to prepare and structure my life. So that I don't end up burning out more regularly, I hope that's helpful. Grace, how does that feel as an answer to your wonderful, very insightful question?: That was very insightful actually, and it was a lot it was a lot of um, it was a lot of very helpful stuff to hear because I've kind of been like it's something I struggle with, and I just have kind of been clueless how to um, address it so that was all very helpful to hear. Thank you. That's good. It's very cool. Any other thoughts, questions, concerns? Who's got a Who's got something in your head about process and vision? Is your name actually WTC iPhone? Because that's kind of amazing. No. (laughs) Okay, good. Who are you? uh, William Thomas Cox. I usually go by Thomas. Oh, so you are WTC? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. WTC iPhone. Uh, Where are you calling from? uh annapolis maryland um i'm a okay, cool. architecture architect in the okay T- yeah i love that i'm one of my favorite people in the world is an architect yeah great um, um tell me about your process how's this how's this landing for you what's stirring in you listening to me jabber on yeah i think that second story of um the well maybe it was the first one of climbing the mountain um but uh seeing something else that you want to do and uh just that hits you leaving you that have few you have, you have that a few mountain. projects laying around ideas uh yeah um but i think it was the second story i'm now forgetting it i need to write notes but i don't have a notepad what was the second story again <laughs> <laughs> just like that i'm not i'm not telling you son i'm not <laughs> you got to get a notebook you yeah. got to get a notebook kid mm. you're in class okay right thanks um, right. yeah, but I, here's, but actually, <laughs> I, but I will take this, it, I'll take this moment and say part, like, I, for like having a notebook for like, I use like, Evernote on my phone regularly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have Evernote? No. What kind of, you, I mean, you do have an iPhone cause it says it right there on the screen. So that's an easy yeah. answer. Yeah, um, so, but, so Evernote's a really, really helpful software. It's like, it's a project management software. And it's a place where I can keep my ideas when I have them so that I can come back to them in season when mm-hmm. I've got space and time. Okay. Yeah. So the first, the first story was, uh, was about taking my son hiking and the mountain. And the second story was about, uh, Frank Tate, who was the label head who disabused me, uh, profanely in front of a crowd of executives. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was- well, I'm glad you're here. You- um, okay. Let me throw a couple of things at. unless anyone else has something else right now, I'm going to throw uh, another couple of principles and stories at you and then we'll, we'll pick it up from there. Yes. All right. Amen. So this principle, uh, it's a wonderful principle called finishing. <laughs> uh one of the most important things so what, what you'll hear a lot of folks talk about when we talk about like productivity culture or creativity culture is what I talk about like how hard it is to start and like it's important that you sit down and make time for the work etc i have found that starting isn't that big a deal but what keeps us from starting is the fear of finishing is that we don't we're, we don't have a plan for Finishing, we don't we don't even actually intend to finish. So I want to I want to suggest that um, let's go right here. I want to suggest that finishing uh, is like a vital, vital, vital practice, and that it is in fact a spiritual discipline. It's part of what makes artwork an actual spiritual practice is the the practice of finishing. So here's a story. Um, when I uh, I told you I, I did um i was doing youth ministry and and public ed in order to teach in california you have to take a thing called the cbest That's a basically a proficiency test like did you learn anything in high school and college and the test is like a, i think it was like a two and a half or 3 hour long test M- you know most mostly multiple choice like a couple essay questions and there's just a crap ton of math i do not do math well and it's funny and also not funny. This is a story in which it's kind of funny, I guess, but uh, like it's legitimately a pro- like I joke about my my lack of proficiency in math, but I really um, it's bad. So I'm taking this test and I get through uh, to like to the actual math portion of it. And uh, what I realize is I'm going to run out of time because I'm taking so much time to get through these math problems. Uh, that like, I'm looking at the clock and it's, and I, I'm, I'm going to come to the end. And it, what happens is if I, if you, if you don't finish the test, you don't get a grade. In other words, like you don't, the, if you, if you turn it in incomplete, you you just fail. When, obviously you can hear the principle there, even as I say it. Right. So I do the thing that every great student has learned to do in moments like this is I just grabbed my pencil. I moved it to the middle of the Scantron sheet and went C, C, C. C, 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 for like 40 questions. This is not, this is hundred percent true. Just went like straight down the middle. And I don't know what it is in my mind that was like, I, the answer's probably in the middle visually that makes no actual sense in terms of how they make tests. But like, so English major philosophy minor, I can justify it and talk about it. So C, 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 C all the way down 40 questions. And I turned it in because like I said, if I don't finish, then I don't actually get a grade. I wouldn't know if I passed or failed. Hear me say it. I would not have known if I passed or failed if I didn't finish. Just by nature of not finishing, that is the actual failure. So uh, the principle I took from that, from the standpoint of art making, is like only once I've completed a song or any kind of project can I get enough altitude to actually critique it. Is it good or is it bad? The thing that keeps us from finishing is we're actually afraid that it's not good enough. That's the thing. Every time we don't finish, it's not just cause we don't have enough time, but in our souls, I'm like, I don't think this is actually good enough. And so it's easier for me to not put it in the world, to not to like pretend like it's done. Cause then I get to say like, well, it's still in process, but I don't, I can't evaluate a thing as good or bad until it's actually out and finished in some way, shape or form. As long as it remains in me, it's like, it's unfinished and it's still like inside. It's too close for me to evaluate uh, or, or critique. So I've got to finish things in order to like decide if they're good or bad. And there's a second principle here that gets to a second. So finishing when I don't feel ready establishes an actual process. I guess this is me moving beyond inspirational. It's like, I want to write a great song to like, I just want to actually write music. If that makes some sense. I don't want to do Sure. I want to write great songs. I totally want to write great songs, but in order to write great songs, I have to be able to write songs, which means I have to do this next thing. I have to make bad art. I have to. Here's here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, oops, some stuff you made isn't great. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying you literally have to make crap before you can make anything that's worthwhile. It's a thing you, it's a discipline to finish things that are not good and make them available to yourself and or others so that you can see what do you do that's positive? What do you do that's not positive? If I constantly, if I always leave things unfinished, then I can always make excuses for why things aren't great and then I never actually grow. I have to finish, put it out in some way, shape, or form and then get critique from the world around me or from my own eyes. And then I can take next steps. So here's a way to think about this. So this is a guy named Andre Agassi was a tennis player, uh, like in the nineties was one of the world's better tennis players. And part of what he was known for is like, he was one of the only men on the circuit who would hold the tennis racket you see right there he would hold the tennis racket with both arms most of the men who play like they play with one arm most of the women he'd seen play play with their hand with both uh, hands on the racket and the the way he got there was that when he when he when his father was teaching him to play tennis his father lobbed the ball over the net and then andrew would like kind of chip it to make sure it landed in bounds and his dad said hit the ball harder so Andre hit it a little bit harder and landed out of bounds and he went back and he started chipping and, and his dad eventually was like, what are you doing? And Andre said, like I, like, I want to make sure it lands in bounds. And Andre's dad said, Andre hit the ball as hard as you possibly can over and over and someday it will land in bounds. The principle here being if I constantly try to get it right, if I'm trying to like make it perfect, I'll never finish work and I'll never actually grow. I don't grow into my own voice. I don't grow into my own patterns if I'm just trying to get things right. I have to hit the ball and let it land out of bounds. I have to put everything I have into a project and let it not be great in order for me to actually learn my own body in order for me to actually learn my own soul my own psychology i don't just it's not just an oops that we make bad work along the way it is an absolutely utter practice and discipline to make bad songs make bad art so i would do things like this i would like add bad melodies so i would get to a part in a song where like i know it's not great and i would just add it and put it in there anyways knowing that it's not very good and then i and then i could put it down and pretend like it's finished and walk away and evaluate. Um, yeah. So let's, let's pause there. Uh, let me get out of here. I'm going to stop sharing my screen. Um, questions, comments, concerns, what's stirring in you talk about finishing. What do you got? A couple people. So I, just, I guess a uh, question regarding like kind of being, Here, willing, being willing to fail and stuff like that yes. and like make bad art. Um, uh-huh. I think I, I definitely like have some experience with that. Like I know I've been in a band for about like two and a half years now. When we first started that we were horrible, like really not good at all. But then like awesome. over the course of that time, like we released an album and then COVID hit and that kind of took the wind out of our sails. But Um, I guess like, how do you like quiet that like inner critic that just like, is like, nope, the, you know, the beat was slightly off or, you know, the, that (laughs) chord was ever so slightly like out of tune or, you know, like minor, minor. You don't quiet it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you don't quiet it. You make a friend with it because it's not wrong. A lot of the time, like that thing that says, Hey, you're not very good. Like it's right. You're not. Um, and so I, I don't want to quiet the, that critical voice in my head. I want to just, I want to make friends with it. I want to be able to say like, yeah, you're right. I'm not very good. What what else do you see? Like, why else does this suck? And then be like, yeah, okay, cool. And then work and then get work. In other words, I don't want to quiet that. I just want to get back to work. The thing that I do is it's not the critical voice in me that keeps me from working. It's my emotional response to that critical work. So your better friends, and you know this, Michael, like your better friends are the friends would be like, you have food in your teeth. Those are your better friends. Your better friends would be like, listen, man, if you don't shower more regularly, like she's that's, you know, like your better friends are the ones who honestly will bring critique to you. So that critical voice in an artist's head is actually a friend. The thing that's not a friend is the thing in me that thinks somehow I'm above critique or like that I should be afraid of it. You will forever, ever, ever, and ever like have next steps in your work. Bob Dylan, probably the greatest like individual songwriter in the history of American music, right? He dropped sixty something records, something like that. Like it's just an absurd amount of albums. Okay, somewhere in the middle, like album like twenty one or twenty two is a record called Blood on the Tracks. Blood on the Tracks is probably his best record. Uh, it's an amazing collection of of songs. Um, and then after he finished that, he continued to make music and some of it wasn't as good as his previous stuff. And he knew that it wasn't, but what Bob Dylan did that made him a great artist is he kept working at it, even though like at he knew what songs were better. He knew songs weren't better. And like, he just kept at it. So you make friends with your critical voice and you respond to that critical voice by saying, I think you're probably right. Let's get back to work. Does that make some sense? And you make the connection here between like, if I'm working from inspiration and like the vision of the perfected mountain thing, that if I'm working from there, then like when that critical voice says, it doesn't look like the mountain, then I'm like, yeah, it doesn't look like the mountain and I want to quit. But if I fall in love with the 400 feet of dirt and say like, no, you're right. We're not at the top of the mountain. Duh. Of course I'm not at the top of the mountain. I'm still climbing. Then that critical voice becomes a guide and a friend. Um, let me give you a quick example of what I mean by by this principle in terms of like adding bad stuff that doesn't work. I think I can do this without um, becoming unplugged from the thing so i was this is like two thousand and fourteen or so, and I was putting together a collection of songs that had been a minute and I got to this uh, this particular song and I had um I had like an opening line that was like a Oh, I used to be angry. I learned how to fight. Oh, I used to be certain now I'm all right. And I really liked that. Like, it felt really good. It was like a like, nice flow to it. But then like I didn't have anything else. Like, it was like there was absence. It was just like the, <laughs> the, the dark pit of I don't know what comes next there. And I couldn't get past it. So what I did was, oh, I used to be angry. I learned how to fight. Oh, I used to be certain. Now I'm alright. And then it went like this: la da 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 di do, la da di do. And it was just, it just trash. Super simple, really predictable. It was awful. But I couldn't, I, like, I couldn't get past that thing. So I just, and, I, like, I'm, I literally finished the song like that with like some lyrics and then a bunch of la das with garbage melodies and I, w- with my phone and a microphone, I recorded it and pretend like it was done. And then I put it away. And here's the thing you know. Your favorite artists, like the people you think are like legit the best, whether they're great architects or great musicians, if you listen to their music, even you know they're a hundred times the artist you are, you'll listen to a song and be like, that one's not very good. Because we listen at we listen to other people's work, we pay attention to other people's work from a distance. I have to establish that same kind of emotional distance from my work. Not because I don't want to care about it, because my favorite artist, I love and need my favorite artist to make work. Like it's food. If you don't make work, like I, I'm mad at you because it's been too long. God bless Taylor Swift for making three records in eighteen months. I needed her so bad. And she did. So like like I like I need those. Stars. So I'm not emotionally ta- detached from their work in terms of like my association with it, but like I get all tangled up with my own. So I've learned to like finish stuff, put it away. So I came back to that song and I listened to it more like the way I listen to someone else's music. And so I noticed that I did, I came to that part and then I was, I was going back to the same one note that I was at before. I was like, that's really weird. What if I changed it? To that and the minute I did that, because that's the way I listen to other people's music, is like I don't know why you go to the minor there. Why do you go to the minor? Why do you have to hit the same major note? Like, I, that's what I do with other people's music. So I did it with my song, and they ended up going like this. Well, I used to be angry, I learned how to fight. Oh, I used to be certain, now I'm all right. And then it changed it up this. Used to think every good work. It was done in the light, and it just set a bunch of stuff free. Oh, everything has changed for me. And I wouldn't have heard that note if I would have just left that song in my head. If I would have like, if I hadn't recorded it and put it away and pretended it was finished, then I couldn't see it from the outside. So, finishing is a discipline by which I actually give myself permission to listen to, pay attention to my own work from the same kind of distance then to be able to listen to and critique other people's work. Does that make some sense? That's a great question, Michael. Thank you. So make friends with your critical voice because your critical voice is actually right most of the time. Which is to say, yes, you do suck a little bit at all the things you care about. Um, Anything else? Questions, comments, concerns? We're kind of close to where I want to put it. This is uh, Ella, 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 A, A. Hi, can you hear me? I can. Awesome. Um, I think I was just wondering, how do you kind of with like, you were talking about how you always have like, just like a bunch of projects going on. Cause it's hard to like finish them and it's good to set them down. I was just wondering like what, how do you kind of like prioritize or figure out which projects are worth finishing? Great question. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so principle one, do all of it. If you have interests, plans, dreams, uh, like all of you are half my age. I'm 47 years old. Um, I'm telling you right now that if you have plans, dreams, interests, if you have things that are in you, I'm telling you do all of it. That's the first thing. There won't be a plan or a dream or an idea that's not w- at least worth giving a little bit of a shot. If it sticks with you and you're like, I kind of want to try this out. I'm not talking about like a neat, like, like um, it'd be cool to like, I don't know, chew gum every day and then like find different bridges all over the world to stick a piece of gum on, like some kind of random idea. Like, But like, if it's like, yeah, uh, uh, I would like to collect uh, stones from different places in the world and make a, like, If this, if it's if it's a doable idea at all, like I'm telling you to do it, absolutely because the world needs your art so freaking bad. It's not even fun. I'll come to why in in a couple minutes. That's one. So do all of it. Two, the calendar is your best friend. The calendar is a place that gives your soul permission to say yes and no without abandoning things. So, like right now, I have. So I release a book in. I release a book in June. At the same time, I'm working on another book idea and I have a children's music project that I'm wanting to do. And then I have a third book idea and I have like two podcast ideas. And then I have this video series thing and all of this in my head, right? So instead of it all, just being up here, jamming my head up and telling me you don't have enough time. I look at my calendar and I say, okay, I'm going to commit to this and have this book out by June. And then in the meantime, I'm going to have the next book done by this date. And so that's going to be these months. And then I get to take this other idea that's like this video series and be like, hey, listen, little buddy, you're a really great idea. And I love you. I don't have time for you right now, but I promise that we're going to get to you in the spring of 2022. Okay. And that idea is like, come on. I'm like, hey, listen, do you want to live or not? I do want to live. Okay, great. So then can you wait till 2022? Okay. And then I put it on the calendar for 2022. And what it does is that my soul now has a place to hold this idea that's even down the road, which ends up doing this. And you have to trust yourself to this piece. You can't do everything at the same time. And so you will naturally do this really well. And I don't think you're going to trust yourself yet, but I'm telling you to. You will naturally prioritize things. Your soul will tell you, I need to do this now. You'll feel it. Like, this is the thing I have to do now. And the stuff that your soul is not ready for, you'll be able to more easily put off in the, into the future. And it will give you time to like let that idea, if you actually put it somewhere, you do two things. You put it on the calendar so you tell it, it has its own space. And then you actually create a, a thing like in Evernote or in a notebook where like, when ideas come up about that next project from 2022, you actually write that down somewhere. So by the time you actually get around to do it, you're so freaking ready because you've been chewing on these ideas. So one, do all of it. Two, put it on your calendar. Three, create a space where your back burner ideas actually get some attention when they come up. Because if you have this, which you do, like like you're going to have these ideas about a project you're not ready for. So give give that some space on a calendar, give that some space in a journal and get to it when the season comes. That is a great question, Ellen. Nice work. Anything else? From right here, I got time. Okay, Um, I'm going to do two quick ones that are like, this is my finale. Um, And then I'll probably have some time uh, to do something beyond the finale. So here's why, uh, in twofold, uh, here's why I think without question, uh, you making art is not just cool, not just interesting, but vital. So I was in high school, I got out, thank God. Uh, While I was in high school, uh, I talked a lot, you can imagine. And at one point, I was literally in trouble in speech class for talking (laughs) because that's the thing I'm capable of. And uh, Mr. Ross, who was the teacher, stopped the middle of class and said, Mr. McRoberts, which I'd heard before and I know how it goes. So I grabbed my bag and I'm headed to the door. And he says, no, 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 just a second. Come here. So now, like, I don't know what's going to happen. He says, once you set your bag down next to my desk, which I do. And he walks to the closet where he would normally keep like podiums or microphones or whatever, like to help us learn to do public speaking. And he literally drags out this, like a large inflated plastic cactus. And he sets it down. It's about, it's just above my waist. He sets it down next to me, He walks out and sits in my seat. (laughs) And he says, okay, Mr. McRoberts, you like to entertain people? The floor is yours for five minutes. And I froze because like now I'm not, I'm not stealing someone else's moment. I have to make up one of my own, which is like, oh, great. So I'm frozen for I don't know how long. And the kid I was joking around with gets like annoyed. And he says, okay, come on, man. Just pretend like you're in the desert, okay? It's just a cactus. To which Mr. Ross says to me, no, it's not just a cactus. It is whatever you make of it. And for the next three minutes... It was a friend that I hadn't seen in a long time. It was a fountain. It was an alien. It was a spacecraft. Because it wasn't a cactus. Hell, it's not, even, like, it's not a cactus at all. It's a piece of plastic with some air in it and some sand in the bottom, if it's that at all. And that principle of it is what you make of it is part of what it looks like for you and I to live in the posture of children of God. There is no such thing, hear me say it, as it is what it is. No, it's not. Because every ounce of circumstance there is in human experience has been forged by people whose wills they trusted and executed on. So when we talk about even massive monolithic things like systemic racism, systems are not simply what they are. They are what people made them to be. And if we live in the posture of it is what it is, then I'm going to let myself get stuck. And I don't want to get stuck. And that's not who we are in Christ. We are co-creators. It is so vitally important for you to make what's in you. It's so vitally important for you to do the things that you're dreaming about because the world needs to not see your work, but they need to see that it is possible to take the circumstances around them and make new things. So you have to. This is your witness. When my father ended his life, I could have just been like, it is what it is. Like is. I'm, I'm in my 20s and the suicide is awful. But instead, it planted a seed in me of compassion for people who live like my dad. It reshaped the way I understand my life. What do I do with my father's suicide? What do I do with my friend's divorce? What do I do with the cancer diagnosis? All these things are awful and they're hard. Our circumstances can be great. They can also be entirely terrible. But there will always be a question on the other side of the circumstances about what am I going to do with this? Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross. He took death. And through that death, he created new life and everlasting connection with the Father. That's what he did with death. And our witness is to take the world around us and the little bits and pieces we have and make new things with it. This is why it's important for you to do what you do and what's in you. Last story about that, and then I'll let you go. There's a um, little trail over by my house. It's like a mile and a half that direction. And it weaves its way through this park. And the park is, that's actually not a picture of the park. I wish. It's dope, but. Uh, and there's a part of the, uh, of the, of this trail that when it rains, the water swells and you can't clear it. And so normally you'd have either have to try to jump and get your feet wet or just turn around. And a few years ago, as I'm coming up on this part of the trail figuring, I we'll probably have to turn around cause it's been raining. Someone had built a bridge across this trail. It's a big bridge, like a, like a, it was like seven or eight feet across wood. And it's like a mile and a half in. So someone had like drug wood in there and done this whole thing. And I go home and tell my wife and two days later, we go back out to see the bridge and it's gone. Like it's gone because someone had destroyed it. Someone had torn it down. And I don't, and I don't know why, which is what my wife says. She's like, why would someone do that? was like, I don't, I don't know. It was sad. Somebody built this beautiful bridge. Someone else tore it down. A week later, I come back and, there's another bridge there. And part of it was made by the shards and the pieces of the old bridge that had been broken down. So it was new, which is to say this person came back and rebuilt the bridge, like announcing, like, I saw what you did, (laughs) but I care more about what I'm making. Hear me say it. I care more more about what I'm making than you care about tearing it down. And so if you tear it back down, I'm going to make it again. And sure enough, a week later, that bridge was gone again. And it came up on it, and I look up the stream, and it, this person hadn't torn it apart, but they just dragged it way up. And now I had the choice Am I going to involve myself in this story? And so I slog my way up and I drag this bridge back down. It takes me like an hour and a half, and I get it propped back up. And that bridge is still there now. And now I've participated in this redemptive story. This is the world in which we live. I don't know why things die, I don't know why people tear things down, I don't know why there's violence. I don't know why people undo their own lives. I don't know why relationships fall apart. I don't know why things go sideways. What I do know is that I have an opportunity every time there is destruction, every time there is negativity, I have an opportunity to do something in and with that moment. And it's essential that I do. So I went home and I wrote this. I come to believe that that's all there is when it comes to sin and evil. I can't explain it away. And I don't think I'll ever chase it out of the world. Around me, much less my own soul. What I think I can do is take a deep breath, stare the seemingly relentless tide of ruin and decay in the eyes and say, you won't win. Not because I'm stronger than you, but because I'm more committed I'm more resilient and you will not outlast me. You'll tear it down and I'll just rebuild it. I'll use what you leave behind and I'll add what you don't. I'll care, I care more about what I make and the people I'm making it for than you care about tearing it down. You will not outlast me. It's important for you and I to do the work that we've been given to do because the world is full of folks who need to know that they can make something of the circumstances they've been given, good or bad. And if we want to (laughs) actually, if we actually want to bear witness to a creative or redemptive God, then we get to be creative and redemptive people. That's why I do the seminar. Like, I think what you make is important. I think the fact that you make it is the most important thing. Amen.